Hello and welcome to Integral Teaching, presented by teachingintothefuture.com. My name is Diane Walters, and I've got a series of podcasts based on what I call the unfinished lesson, leaving room for the students. Let's get right to it. Welcome back to the 11th podcast for Teaching Into the Future. Glad you could join me today. In our rapidly changing world, which is complex and globally interconnected in new ways that we have been working towards but had not quite achieved before the last few years have befallen us, we are now reaching out across the globe. I had a meeting with people from India and Africa, Brazil and Ireland just the other day, and I'm sure I'm not alone. How can we match this level of interdisciplinary, interconnected communication with an educational system that is still narrowed down to a form of specialization that limits our potential for understanding the ecosystem that all education lives in by the way of the very discipline of life itself. In his book, Range, David Epstein began to explore the concept of specialization and generalization in education and in life. Amanda Ripley, author of The Smartest Kids in the World, called Range a 21st Century Survival Guide. Really, Epstein began to rethink the nature of learning, thinking, and being. He began to ask us what we thought we knew about what education and career paths are as a specialty. Most teachers who have played around with multiple learning styles and who have had the challenge of meeting the needs of the students in the class who have an affinity for language or another child for math, another child for science, has began to find ways to communicate with those students so that they felt comfortable with the subject matter, whatever it was at hand. So if I was working with, in math, with a student who was struggling with math, but extremely good on the soccer field, I began to always find the point of connection on the soccer field with the math problem that was at hand. Or there was the ESL student with English as a second language who struggled with the comprehension of the reading material in the classroom. And I would need to find the point of connection with them and find out a little bit more about their home life or what they love to do and make the connections between the reading material and their own personal lives. I still do that in the pottery studio as a ceramicist working with adults who come and really want to try their hand on the potter's wheel. And many of them don't realize that it takes a level of still point and center to center a whirling mass of clay on the wheel. So I ask them what they do for a living. And if I find out that they are a cook or a baker or they are a graphic designer, I try to find connections with their interests or their career and know how to teach that on the wheel. I don't need to be the musician or the graphic designer. I just need to know how to find connection. 
which is an interdisciplinary form of learning that I feel is natural to us all because we are not flat-sided people. We are not two-dimensional. We're three-dimensional people, beings who cook and create and read and run and function in our lives and in our worlds in manifold ways. So how do we put that towards an education? that makes that kind of association with difference and diversity rather than narrow specialization. To that end, I began to play around with what I now call the curriculum seal. It was to take the Parker Palmer subject-centered lesson and put it into the middle of the point of the periphery, you could say, into the center of, in this case, a seven-pointed star. I began to play around with what that subject would look like in a variety of disciplines. For example, if I was teaching 6th or 7th or 12th grade astronomy, I would put astronomy as the subject in the center and ask the students, what is the language behind astronomy? What is the language behind astronomy? Well, nodal point, eclipse, conjunction, transit, lunar, solar, nebula, global cluster, globular cluster, etc. Things that perhaps people not familiar with astronomy might not know. But of course, many astronomers, amateur and professional, have a language to it. And then I would move from the language, and that could include poems made about astronomy. That could include languages and treatises made from early times uh, right to the current day about astronomical exploration and how we communicate that through writing or through literacy in language, how that might affect our culture today. Then I take that into the science, which astronomy falls into that category. So I would say, all right, what other sciences live in and behind astronomy? Where? Do we see the physics? Where do we see the geology and the connection between the earth and the heavens and the cosmos? And of course, they are there to be made. We can talk about how the principles of silica and iron found on the earth are also found in meteorites. We can find now with the astronomical exploration that we have undertaken in the last hundred years, we now know that of the gases that are found around certain planets and the minerals on Mars and how we can make connections between them and our Earth and what we know in a geological fashion. And these are just a few of the disciplines behind the sciences. You'd have to ask yourself, so if in an interdisciplinary world, what other academic subjects lie, if astronomy is at the center, lie on the periphery to be explored? We could discover mathematics behind astronomy and know that trigonometry is a big part and algebra are a part of astronomical computations and configurations. And that children who understand math might want to follow and pursue an astronomical leaning career. Not to mention the humanities and the role of history and culture behind the advent of the science of astronomy. 
were quite familiar with ancient astronomers of Galileo and Kepler and Tycho Brahe, or more currently, Vera Rubin, who helped decode how galaxies and our universe are constructed. There is history and culture behind everything, and I urge all teachers everywhere to begin to play with the interdisciplinary connections of finding the history of whatever subject you are teaching, whether it be astronomy or the arts or the history of math and when measurement was first invented. I constantly found the root sources of inspiration for my teaching by going backwards into history and culture and discovering I uh, usually for the first time myself of uh, the origin of the root of baking bread, measuring perimeter, uh, finding connection to the stars. There are so many aspects of history and culture that surround a subject. You'd think you were teaching the humanities, but it spices up the sciences and the mathematics to a degree that deepens them. So not to stop with history and culture, I would say that playing around with the learning modality of movement, everything in the universe is moving. We are moving, the earth is moving, absolutely everything is moving. And if you've had children in the classroom or at home, you know that life is moving. And so where's the modality of movement in our lesson? And I think that we can take that in two ways. One, just as teachers, how do we work with flow in our lessons? How do we work with the sense of breathing? As I've mentioned before, is our lesson flowing or is it a bit stayed? How do we get it flowing? How do we work with the introduction in the middle, in the end of a lesson, as though it were a story from uh, a climax coming down to a resolution? And how do we play with that in the idea of bringing movement into every subject. So let's say we're staying with astronomy. What is the movement of astronomy? I would do it kinesthetically, and I would take my kids who are in elementary and junior high and high school, and I've done this with adults as well, out to a field. And I would have a student play the sun and the rest of the planets, the first seven anyway, out onto the field, and the kids walk the path of the planetary orbits around the sun. I might have thrown in a helium balloon into the fact just to make it more theatrical, but at the end of the day, the kids were getting the idea of how the moon is constantly orbiting the Earth while the Earth is orbiting the sun, and how Jupiter's four moons are orbiting Jupiter while Jupiter is orbiting the sun, because they were walking it. They were moving the kinesthetic astronomy. And by the way, there's a wonderful written introduction to that on the web if you look up kinesthetic astronomy for students or children, YouTube videos as well. There are many ways to configure movement in a subject, and as it belongs to that, I'll keep on going. I think that the social element to learning is highly conducive to education. So rather than teach a discipline uh, and, and keep it to just that, the science of astronomy, I would say, where does it relate socially? How does it work with collaboration? How do we get to know what we know today? We certainly don't know that alone. So I might talk about the teams of people who gathered around an interest and made it happen collaboratively. 
the team down to the collection and formation of NASA in the USA and the many other astronomical organizations worldwide that continue to explore the galaxies in the universe. I might really work with the idea that in the so-called middle dark ages of Europe, the golden age of Africa was flourishing. And it was flourishing because it was very astronomically based. They were the ones that actually named a lot of the stars in the galaxies that we continue to think of today and look up with our own amateur observationary tools, whether they be the naked eye or a pair of binoculars or a small telescope. We're often looking for names like Altair and Aldebaran among countless other constellations. The oldest known astronomical site on Earth was found in Africa. The level of community that has gathered around equinoxes and the solstices in measuring time and space around the Earth has happened ever since. So I would point the ancient cultural practices of honoring the planet that we're living on as it relates to sun, moon, and stars, and how that's created cultural festivals ad infinitum globally. That's just one aspect of the social. Maybe you can come up with others. I'd like to close this podcast with the last interdisciplinary subject, which is a subject in itself, but holds a ray like a star, and that is the art. Whether you're working with clay, stone, painting, wood, sculpture, the form and process of working with the galaxies and the stars have been utilized by every elementary school teacher I can think of. And I would say would be the beginning to any child's early experience of the galaxies above us should be connected to the arts. I'll leave you to imagine just how that could be done while I wrap it up with we've discussed subject-centered interdisciplinary modalities of teaching that really is an introduction to how every subject can dance across the disciplines of all that we know and play with in education, all that we know and try to impart, creating a true universalia of experience. It's an interconnected educational holism that goes from the subject and raise it out into language, science, mathematics, history and culture, movement, social collaboration of our experience and all of the manifold arts that we have at our disposal. When you teach through the curriculum seal, you'll find that the children come alive with possibility and probability, and it meets our coming age, our changing world, which holds the idea of excellence as just part of a diverse whole. Thank you for listening to Integral Teaching, presented by Teaching Into the Future, and I hope to see you again. 
If I piqued your interest, it would really help if you would rate my show either by a like or giving me your personal rating. I'm just starting out here and I've got a whole lot more for you. So stay tuned for my next podcast.